I started this uh, seven, eight years ago, 2007, two years prior to O'Bannon. And I started because I thought there was a, a, a great injustice happening that really no one gave a damn about, including the, the athletes themselves. Uh, sometimes you put people into situations, they accept the situation, they go on to their life, and they're happy to get, uh, you know, patted on the back if you win and kicked in the butt if you lose and that sort of thing. But I, I was, I'd been involved my whole life and I was part of the process that lent, to, lent itself to this financial, you know, unbelievable financial windfall that become college athletics. And uh, it was hard for me to accept and your first question should and would, and will, and has been said, well, Sonny, uh, you paid coaches. Uh, you did this, you did that, and Sonny, you started summer basketball, and Sonny, you did this, and, and I said yes to all those things. And a lot of them said, well, it's, it's Sonny's redemption. One, one great author, writer, in a national magazine said, Vaccaro's redemption is, uh, you know, coming back and, you know, forsaking all worldly goods and saying he wants to save the world. And, and basically, that's offensive. Uh, not so much for me. It's for anybody that always wanted to do something and was never able to do it until they had a platform. And my platform was built because of opportunities I had when I was a kid. All the things that I'll talk to you about, and they'll be various because I talked to a couple of students, some of the teachers, and some of the panelists, and let me say to you, the, the, the students are in the audience, you know, the people who are on these panels, uh, this isn't throwaway. These people are intelligent, smart, you know, beyond, beyond education. They, they've gone through what you're about to go through. You know, the jobs, the, the positions that are on the horizon. They're coming here and spending time, and this is the advantage of going to a University of Virginia. This is going to the advantage of going to Harvard and Duke and Yale and all that, because this school, because it's almost a built-in advantage of going to this type of school that does not preclude the geniuses who have not gone to these schools throughout mankind. And it doesn't preclude, probably, I spent yesterday morning, Pam and I, we got the exclusive tour to Monticello. And, and I, I'm like probably a perception of what you thought or think of me, uh, you know, I, I, whatever, I, I, I went to Youngstown State University because of 10,000 accidents that happened to me in the 50s, okay? The accidents being, things were different, a hell of a lot different than they are today. So I want to, before I start, I want to start with this question. How many of you people in this audience have ever met me? Put your hand up if you have. And I met you yesterday, and that's good. <laughs> How many of you people have heard of me? That's a better percentage. How many of you people have an opinion of me? That's interesting. Because I acknowledge you as being intelligent. Right? So you have an opinion based on someone else's opinion. How can that possibly be for an educated mind? How can you allow that to sway you? How can you allow that to have a preconceived idea and the opinion just be nothing? You have no opinion in the sense of the word opinion, but you do. 
and I think there are probably some other ones that didn't put their hand up. Because that's a natural human instinct. Because that's, not, that's what's not right with this. And when I, I segue into that, because I'll go back to, you know, the founding father, Mr. Jefferson. I went there and I was telling you, through my own ways and means, I, I'm an oddball. I'm, I'm wired differently, and I have been. And I accept that, and I've relished in that, and I've rather liked the journey of my life, almost singular. But Mr. Jefferson was a very different man, reading everything, watching everything. His mind was as brilliant, probably, as anyone that ever lived for his concept of what this nation was going to be. And why a young child at a very young age should look up on a hill and say, I want to live there. Why the young child grew up to become and do the things he did and have, you know, opinions and thoughts on, on, on slavery. It's a contradiction. It's a, it's a, it's a, a compass in your mind that none of us have an explanation for. His brilliance, his intuitiveness, and certainly what he's contributed to this country is without question. The fact that he could be mad that he didn't get to see the Lewis and Clark returns of their trip and find out the flowers and the plants that they had found. The, plant, the fact that I, I go up there and I, 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 I see in his, you know, the, one of the bedrooms up there and you, know, you see pictures and things of Columbus and uh, all the famous uh, you know, explorers and inventors and, and, and you say to yourself, what makes that man do that? Because it's vast. I say to you, what makes other people? How in the hell do we survive in a society without wanting to know exactly what it is that will impress you to help you as an individual? In my fight, and I just told you, I helped the NCAA proper and Nike, Adidas, and Reebok become zillionaires. The companies are flourishing. I helped individuals like Michael, when I die, other than being the loving husband of Pam, they're going to say he's the guy, you know, that got Michael Jordan in shoes. And, and I said, it's a hell of a lot better than the man that killed Liberty Balance. And for you young people who don't know that, it's a very famous, very famous thing. And, you know, and, and other things that I've done, I'm especially proud of. I mean, uh, and I, I, I did it like Sinatra says my way. You know, the camps. All these things uh, evolved into the finished product of 75 years old coming here to the University of Virginia. So let's not waste time. Let's get to the crux of what it is. In the, in the, in the bio, you know, it's the O'Bannon case, which have a lot more than the O'Bannon case. It was, it was the Brandon Jennings case when he was an athlete that wanted to go pro, he and others. Once the NBA shut off the age limit in 2005. Because in 2003, the age limit was okay. So from, 2000, or from 1993 to 2005 was okay. So when Kevin Garnett elects to do it, and Kevin was a young man I didn't know, but because of my reputation with kids and all-star games and all that, he called me and we became the best of friends without ever meeting. And I slowly but surely helped talk him into understanding what the new scale was 
when the NBA came out, when Stern and all his brilliance came out with a contract in 91 and 92 and said, you know, we're going to give you seven years guaranteed money. That's what they said. So this kid from South Carolina who moved in Chicago was asking the question, what should I do? Well, Kevin would have only lasted in college a year by his own admission because he would have been allowed to go after that. But no one ever did what he did, other than Moses Malone a long time ago, but he went to the ABA. Okay? So, so we, we do that, and he gets the, you know, I think I calculated it to be $11 million if he went to the 10th pick in the draft over the course of that thing. And my one thing was, you got $11 million in the bank. They can't take it away from you. God forbid something happens, you got it. If you're, you know, you, and you start your clock going. So that all evolved into... You know, Kobe Bryant, Trace McGrady, Jerome. I mean, you can just go on until we come to the golden child, who is now the golden man, LeBron James. And that's in 2003. And then we go all the way up to the Dwight Howard 2005 class. The last class, I, don't know, I think that's what the 2005 class was, and they quit it. So why do I even talk about the MDA, NBA? You know, why do I talk about it as being one of my gripes about the NCAA? Because it's a, it's a collusion, and we are... The gentleman, the first thing they were talking about antitrust. Antitrust is such an antiquated system, it's ridiculous, because anytime you deprive individuals or companies from earning more with a competitive balance, that's somewhat meaningful an antitrust thing. So when you shut off earning a living, in some sense of the world, and you are in agreement with the people that are doing it, you know, the NBA is a what can you bitch about? They do pay you. They do pay you. You have a union represent you, and they say you can, you can do what? The NCAA doesn't want you to go there, so they'll advocate anything the NCAA or the NBA makes. In 2009, I believe it was, for the record, there was an unbelievable meeting in New Orleans where Miles Brand, David Stern, you know, Mike Krzyzewski, and all the hoobity hoops of, of college basketball met on a stage and they formed a idea called, you know, iHoops. I called it iHop. You know, the pancake thing, because it was a turnover. What they basically did was conspire with each other to form a pact that we will not allow these kids to do anything other than what we set up as rules through our organization called iHoops. That's what they did. They were going to systematically work on getting the age limit up to where now Adam wants to go up to 20 years old. They were going to control what summer basketball things they went to. They were going to control individuals. Now, not, they didn't satisfy with depriving them of earning a living. They want to tell them what they should do. It's, it's corrupt in the very nature of the word corruption. So let's backtrack. Let's go to 1977, 78. I was a guy that started a high school basketball game. I became a pseudo celebrity in my hometown. I did other things. I, I, I really helped a guy that got kicked out of school because he had a fight with a referee in a small, woebegone school in the Midwest. And a friend of mine, White, when I was coaching back in my high school in the early 70s, I sent him to this school. And he called me one day and says, Sonny, there's a young man here that needs some help. And could you help him? He was a basketball player. So I drive up to 
10 Mile, that's in like M&M, right, in Detroit. And I go up there and I meet this guy, and he has a, a surrogate with him, a guy named Willie Merriweather, was an all-American at Purdue. And I helped get him into the ABA. In fact, I represented him. And what's unique about that? I wasn't a lawyer. I had no legal background. I had an idea of what his value was. He was pretty goddamn good, even though no one in America knew because he got kicked out of his freshman year at this school. This kid that I helped do this because there was not a place in the world for him because the NBA would not take him because it's still got to be, you class got to graduate. But fortunately for him, there was a league called the ABA. And fortunately for me, because of my high school all-star game, I started to know people, and I knew the people, and I knew the guy named Al Bianchi, who was the, the, the general manager down in uh, Virginia Squires. So we signed him a contract. His name was George Gervin. For you guys who follow this thing, George Gervin's one of the 50 greatest players ever to play basketball. Today he has charter schools. Today he has made all kinds of money. He has restaurants in San Antonio. Isn't that interesting? They kicked his butt out of school. They were, it was demonized. He had nowhere else to go except play a sport, which he did pretty well. Why do I say that? Why do I say that? Because 20 years later, this school, Eastern Michigan, invited George Gervin back. And they were going to retire his jersey and honor him a thing. And I picked up the phone and I said, what the hell are you doing? And he said, Sonny, this is my vengeance. They're going to put my jersey up. But they also, they kicked his butt out. They wouldn't have put his jersey up unless he grew up to be George Gervin, the man, the legend. Why do I say that? Hypocrisy. Hypocrisy. So in 77, I go to Nike. I was this guy. You know why I went to Nike? I used to have summer camps back in Pittsburgh. All the kids were wearing tennis shoes. That's what we called them in those days, tennis shoes. And they'd wear them, they'd push their backs down, and they'd, they'd do whatever. And I got these ideas. I had an Italian, naturally have to be an Italian, shoemaker, because that's what Italians did a lot of, shoemake. And I went back to my friend, and I said, Bobby, can you make me some shoes that are completely different and use these things that the kids told me about? So I gave him some drawings or whatever, and I said, use leather. So, because, what? what? Leather, that, that was, in 70s, that was not existing, it was canvas. Come on, you old timers back there, everybody had canvas. Okay, Converse Kansas, Converse owned the world. Every kid that played basketball, tennis, or anything, they were Converse. So there was this place up in Oregon, starting business. I had a friend that represented a player in the NBA at that time, and my friend wrote a letter to the president of Nike. And I go up there, and he gets me an appointment. I, he wanted to say that I had this, I was going up to show the shoes. I swear to God, they, I put them in a knapsack. That's what we called them in the 70s, a potato sack. My daddy and my grandfather, they all think, that's what we put the vegetables in when we pick them. You know, so I put these shoes. I didn't have a duffel bag. I didn't have one of those famous things you have now. We put them in there. So I go to Nike. And I show them about eight or nine different kinds of shoes that Bobby had made. And they got them. They put them back in a bag. And I never saw them again. Never saw them again. But we were talking about basketball. They had $25 million or somewhere in that way in revenue that year. Okay? Somewhere around that. And they would attract because Phil Knight was a runner. The, his, his uh, 
college coach was the Olympic coach. It was all track and field, and Steve Prefontaine was Phil's idol. We started talking, and they wanted to try something. They had one coach and one school wearing Nike shoes. That was University of Oregon, and Dick Harder was a coach. So we started talking. I said, I'll, I can get you involved in basketball. I just said that. That was this guy, Trafford. How can you do that? Well, come back to my high school all-star game in Pittsburgh. Come back there, and I'll show you. 17,000 people, every coach in America is there. You know, Phil, or Rob Strausser, who is really my benefactor there, goes back with me, and we see, they see, that basketball is important. So I said, give the shoes to Fort Hamilton High School and all the high schools. Give them, and Albert King was the, the biggest name, Magic Johnson in those years, okay? So that's how we made it. So the next fall, I said, you want to really get involved? I said, yeah, I do. Because they liked what happened with the high school stuff. Pay the college coaches. We didn't pay the college coaches. Pay the college coaches. They don't make a lot of money. Give the college coaches $10,000, $5,000. Give the school all the shoes and sweatsuits and T-shirts for nothing because they're buying them from Converse now. No one's getting free shoes in the 70s. Give it to them. They will wear the shoes. They will be on television. And my idea there, because it wasn't television in 77 like it is in 2015, it was like regionalized, okay? And we will be able to be very successful because I figured it was south to the alumni, the fan base. That was what it was. So it happened. He did it. They told me to go. Let me tell you, now we're getting to the good part. So I went on the road, and I signed college coaches. First year, I got five or six or seven. And one of them first one, and God bless me, just passed away, was my dear friend Jerry Tarkanian. At Long Beach, he was at Long Beach when I met him. He was in Las Vegas at that time. I signed Jerry Tarkanian to a Nike contract, okay? Let me tell you. I gave him a personal check, Sonny Vaccaro on it, and he deposited it. Then Nike would wire me or send the money to cover my thing, okay? Now, there were names for doing things like that in, in those days, but you had three to ten days to cover the check. And I basically rolled the dice all the time, and they sent me the money. So, so what did I tell you? Sonny Vaccaro paid the coaches out of his check. Nike, Phil Knight, sent me the money to make sure that that wouldn't bounce. That's how it started. Okay? Now we just grow and grow and grow and grow. And the next year, we had total 83 schools. I just kicked ass out of... Converse. I went around America. I did. I did. I had a credit card and a Ford Thunderbird. <laughs> that was my dream car. And I went on the East Coast. And I went up and down to the Pocono Mountains. And some of the older guys know all the camps are on the East Coast. And, and then I found a guy named Jimmy Valvano. And Jimmy Valvano was at Iona. And I go to him, and he has a great statement. You know, he's the funniest man God has ever put on earth. And, and he I said, I'm going to give you money, and he said, what, what, what do I go do, throw a ball game? What, what do you ask me to do? You're going to pay me to wear shoes and all that? So Jimmy signs, we have 83. Now, it's on, so we started the revolution. Now we're going to fast forward into this group. What happens now? I'm going to jump past Jordan, because they all know I signed Michael. Nike is now flourishing. I know we have friends here from the, worked with the University of Miami. By a strange quirk of fate, I get a phone call from a third party 
okay? And lawyer, a labor lawyer in Washington, D.C. named Rob Ades. Rob calls me and says, Sonny, Mr. Vaccaro, Mr. Vaccaro, I'm calling on behalf of the University of Miami on the authority of Sam Jankovic, who was the athletic director. And he wants to ask you if you will sign, you being Nike, Miami to an all-school deal. Okay? 1987. Put that in your mind. An all-school deal. We did the first contract, 77, 78, singular. Until then, we made a contract with the individual coach. When I signed John Thompson, I gave him $250,000 to him. Nothing to do with the school. When I signed all these other guys, they got the money. Just so we know. All that 250000 boy, that number went up from 10000 to Tarkane in, in about five years. It just, because what happened? All those purists, all those saintlier than saint companies, we'll never pay coaches, we'll never pay coaches. Well, after the second year, they're all paying coaches. Okay? It's the nature of the animal, the beast, okay? You're not going to let somebody kick your butt. And if you think they were crooks then, well, they're not a bad crook now. We'll join them. That's, that's the mentality of your friends at the NCAA. Because I'll tell you why. We signed University of Miami to a school, all school deal. Some here in this crazy little mind of mine, I was able to grasp the situation when I knew it was good. Maybe it was a street in me. I have no idea because I can't give an education for what my mind does. So I'm there and... I know something. Good. I call Rob up to call, tell Phil. I said, we got it made. What do you mean you got it made? I said, the guy from Miami wants an all-school deal. They don't play basketball. We are mostly a basketball tennis shoe company. That's what we were. Miami was one of the greatest football teams in the world in the 80s. You all know that. You know, and they had, what else did they have? They had track and field. They had baseball. They had everything. So I envisioned in my mind because this is the way it was spelled out to me by, by Rob, we'll put your signs, when, when the swimmers come up and they touch the, you know, the wall to go back the other way, we're going to have a swoosh there. You know, when they look up the baseball scoreboard, we're going to have a swoosh there. There are swooshes everywhere but your rear end, okay? <laughs> there was no question about it. That's it. The game was over. Why was the game over? Why did the NCAA officially lose their virginity? That's why. They sold the rights to the whole school. Now, when I did the deal with Tarkanian and Thompson and you know, all, the, all the great coaches, everybody, we had 83 of them, okay? That was with them. I told you that. This one, the University of Miami wanted whatever number that was that first year, this check to be sent to the University of Miami. They were going to pay the college the coaches. They were going to give $10 to the basketball coach, $5 to the football coach, $1 to the swimming. Whatever the hell they did, I, I didn't give a damn how they did it. But they accepted our money. And the president signed off. So when I, when I'm, you know, and I hope I'm not being crass and saying they lost their virginity, but they did. Because that meant to me that everybody in that school knew exactly what this nefarious guy, Sonny Vaccaro, did. Let's just put that to rest now. The same guy. Me. So now, go forward. I get fired from Nike. I get fired from... I know, to this day, I don't really know why. I, I can't say... You know, I think I do. I was the closest thing to Michael Jordan other than his family. There was no question about that. Pam and I and Michael traveled the world in a private jet in Europe right before the Gulf War. I stayed at his home. We were there when he and Juanita got married to celebrate. We weren't in the chapel. But, we, I mean, that's how close Michael and I were. We, we did this, that special on NBC for him. We are friends. Sometimes, 
especially in that era, you don't get two friends to the main moneymaker. Because by now, Jordan was the main moneymaker. Okay? By now, we are in the serious conversion of paying him a salary to make it the brand Jordan. Go back and check when brand Jordan hits. Well, brand Jordan has turned out to be the most lucrative thing ever to happen in any court of endorsement in the history of mankind. And there will be 10 more LeBrons. It won't happen like that because that opportunity will never, ever present itself. And also to a fledgling company. We are still building. We started at 25 million. I think when I left, we were in, you know, seven or eight billion, whatever it was. We were good, but it wasn't what brand, you know, what brand Jordan would become. Today, if you look at Brand Jordan, I know my young friend back there knows, they're, they're big, they sell more basketball shoes than Nike. They're two separate companies up there. They're partners, but Michael's a partner. So all these things happen. Now I'm going to go back to my friends. Okay? They've accepted everything that we ever did. Everything. So I, you know, the, the, the connection with the pro leagues, you know, the taking of money from commercial entities, they were a willing co-conspirator. Where did they lose their virginity? Well, maybe 150 years ago when they started. Because what they did, they wrote a very interesting thing when college sports started. They called it the NCAA after, I don't know exactly what year, and they put the rules down to who and what they were. You have to understand now, they started an organization, and they say, this is what we can do, and this is what we can't do. And we're going to be this athletic and National Collegiate Athletic. So they specifically said athletes. Am I right? That's who they are. They're an athletic association that's operating now out of uh, Indiana. They wrote the rules. They had a brilliant guy who was a, an oddball personally, but he was, he was smart to what he did, named Walter Byers. Walter Byers was the first, I guess, commissioner, president, supreme ruler, you know, but he wrote all the rules. And one day, he woke up. And he saw what was happening. There was a little revolution in college sports in the, in the early 70s. You guys weren't born yet, OK? But what was that revolution? Black power. Student unrest. Athletes were getting the, you know, the ahead of the, the curve. We got to do things to curb them. That's true. Now, I can't specifically say that was in their minds. But if you do crazy things like Sonny does, and I analyze my own self and research my own self, and I don't take someone else's opinion, I study myself, and I come to a conclusion after reading writers, books, and, the opinion, and also examining the times. Well, in the 70s, everything from what? Tommy and John at the Olympics, right? Muhammad Ali, boxing, Kurt Flood, baseball. There was like a revolution going on. We had marches, and Mr. King, everything was going the other way. The only thing that was sanctity yet was amateur athletics. So we, we imposed this word on kids who played sports to be amateurs. You know what the true thing of an amateur is? Go back to England. You know, 1890s. An amateur was a designated person who, who uh, wasn't a peasant. Because that's who were the professionals. The peasants were the professionals. The amateurs were the aristocracy of England. They were the ones who could play polo and golf, and they didn't get dirty. So they wanted to be pristine because money really wasn't a matter then. So anyone else who plays those sports 
you know, there'll be non-amateurs, okay? But amateurs were clean. And it carried on. It just carried on forever. Forgetting that even in the Olympics in, you know, 10,000 or 1010, whenever they started the Olympics, there was always a reward of some kind. I mean, we all know that. And, but forget that. Stay on, stay on the 1900s now. So they kept evolving and evolving. And it got to a point in the 1920s where basically the athletes didn't even bother to go to school. Some of them don't go today, as we found out in North Carolina. But, <laughs> but, you know, Congress had to step in. The president had to step in. The University of Chicago said, no more of this stuff. You know, we're going to quit. We're you know, just do all this stuff. But, but it still survived because they were paying, you know, the still, I'm from Pittsburgh, so I know the history of what happened in the University of Pittsburgh. Thoroughly, I know that history. And, you know, they, they subsidized the kids. And, and then after the war, a lot of the kids came back, you know, and everything started changing. So now we're in the 50s, and it still hasn't taken grass. It was basically Harvard and Yale was still a big game, and Southern Cal and Notre Dame. There were your little spiritual rivalries that were evolved, and the only receipts you got were gate receipts. There were no salary rights. The gentlemen up here today were talking about stadiums and television contracts. There was nothing, nothing about that. So, but they kept evolving. Why did I bring a point to 1971, and why did I think the world changed? Well... They did their first time they stepped out of character. They actually made a move that was publicly known because they made a statement, and it affected thousands and thousands and thousands of future athletes for the benefit of the institution in the incident way. They removed the four-year scholarship to one year, renewable. The only reason I'm living today was because, I didn't tell you, when I went to University of Youngstown, I went to a junior college first. I was recruited by the University of Kentucky to play football. I was a decent player. I got hurt at junior college, could not play. The man at Youngstown remembered me because it's only 60 miles from Pittsburgh, still offered me a scholarship. I never played it down for Youngstown. The basketball coach liked my enthusiasm, put me on scholarship, and the rest is history. I graduated because they gave me a four-year scholarship. I went on to go to graduate school, and only for an accident would I not have graduated from graduate school. And I lived in the house of Ralph Miller. I was a graduate assistant out of graduating from Youngstown. Oh, I forgot to tell you. I graduated fourth or fifth, did I say that? From the bottom of my high school class. Why do I tell you that? My mother certainly wouldn't be proud, and she's been gone. She always says, Sonny, why do you tell people that? <laughs> and I say, because, Mom, it's the truth. Pammy reacts that way right now. She's still, yeah, why do you say that? Because it's the truth. But what happens when someone gets a chance? How do you know? What did I allude to earlier? You're here because you passed tests, you did things, and you're obviously qualified. And the door is set for you. If you don't screw this up, you're going to have a pretty good life. But it's up to you. And it's up to somebody who doesn't go here. Okay? So it's up to the person to determine his life or his education. Okay? So this guy used that. So I went. I got my education. And I only got it because... The people of Youngstown, you know, treated me like a human being. 71, they cut it out. Four-year scholarships, they cut it out. You know, transferring, they cut it out. They've written everything in their rule books from 71 to 2015 to hold back the athletes. To hold them back. The transfer rules I've seen, because as you've seen, and you're all eligible to this, is 
college coaches leave on a drop of the hat in the middle of their contract. They don't even go to their bowl games. They don't even play. It's sinful what happens in college sports today. And I'm not going to sit here and criticize individuals. I'm going to tell you why the athlete is a person that should be more, should be indemnified more, taken care of more. Where else in this? Oh, when you sent me your resume, you did not tell me you were a student lawyer. You're going to be a student business person. I didn't know that. You're going to be, are you one of those student architects? Or maybe you're going to be a student, what the heck else can you be? A student, uh, student doctor, right? Yeah. Then we have a fraternity. It's an unnamed one, though. It's down there right next to Bella's, off, off the Italian place. Is that little restaurant it's all blocked up? That's the fraternity for all the student. And they got another group in there. Athletes. All the student athletes down here. And they're going to invite the student doctors and lawyers. We're going to be that. See, this NCAA is brilliant. They formed their own vocabulary. We have true freshmen, and we have redshirt freshmen. Isn't that interesting? We have a collegiate model. Really, I thought, they, I thought the model was get an education. We, we have all these things that simply stand out when we're talking about it. And we also, oh my God, let me tell you what we have. We own the NCAA basketball tournament. We own it. See, we all got together and said, we're going to form the NCAA in tournament. And we're going to have a tournament. First of all, we start with 16 teams, I think, and then 34 and then 60, whatever it is. But we own it. See, and, and I'll tell you, the NCAA owns the basketball tournament. So they, at the end of the year, we're all getting ready now. The season means crap. Just get a winning say, and you'll get invited to the tournament. There's 68 teams or 69 teams. I mean, hell, there's only 125 teams playing basketball. I don't know how many are, but not too many more than that. But we're going to invite you. See, we got the whole pot. The, the intelligent men are up here talking today. They didn't get into the numbers, but that what they referred to was it's a multi-billion dollar contract. And all that money flows back into the NCAA. And if you win one game, your conference gets 168th and 124th or one. So you're really playing the lottery. I didn't know you were allowed to gamble there, but you're playing the lottery when you're in the NCAA tournament. You get out, you go home. That's all. So you got one, six, you, that's why everyone gets mad at you. Plus those millions and millions of, you know, there's, it's like a new, what the fantasy things or whatever. And, and I, oh, it's, it's amazing. This thing takes three weeks to play. And a week before that, they have conference tournaments. That's interesting. That's four weeks. Four weeks. That's great. Because when we go, when we go on these tournaments, and we're invited to the NCAA tournament, we're invited, we all have to go to our, our, our ACC conference down there or whatever the hell it is in Charlotte this year. We're all going to go. We got to go a week ahead of time because we got press obligations. So we, you know, I can't understand Arnie Duncan. I cannot understand him. He's the superintendent of all the schools cause, in college because he used to be the superintendent of that economic backdrop of complete academic integrity in the city of Chicago. I mean, they did a great job with academics there, okay? But I'm not going to say anything. I'm not talking about Arnie. It's not about Arnie. I'm talking about education because the answer the way has, I know the answer. 
You know who should be the teachers? They're fighting in New York whether you know, merit, whether you're smart, dumb, how many guys went to college, how many passed the SAT. Well, ain't the answer. Get those tutors. You know the ones that fly with the teams? Oh, you got them in Virginia. You probably have 25 tutors go on the plane and go. go you know, we're going to go to the ACC tournament or we're going to go to the bowl game. The tutors are the lifeline. That's interesting. That's why we're so successful in academic success at all universities for the athletes. That's absolutely one of the reasons. And I, I commend that because we can just pick up, we have portable education in college athletics. And that's, that's good. Also, what we have, I just said they get all the money and they split it. Well, that's at least they give something back. It's this football game I don't understand. I'm confused about the answer in football. You see, those, quote, student-athletes play football, too. They play football, right? And football is huge. Football is the biggest thing on your campus. Whether you know it or not, it's the biggest thing. Even though Tony is going to maybe go undefeated and win a national championship, forget about it. Forget about it. Okay? That'd be nice. The last time they got their Ralph Sampson playing, I think I was in 84. So it's really going to be tough. But he's doing a great job. These kids are a great team. This is not disparaging to any team or any coach or anything. What it is, though, let's look at football. Let's look at football. They have spring practice. Then they come back for fall practice. Like, oh, just yesterday, it went all across ESPN, that thing. That, that ticker at ESPN, that's the hell a lot better than CNN's. All I see at CNN is somebody's killing somebody somewhere, and the world's falling apart, and we have, we have riots everywhere, and all that sort of thing. But don't worry, in CNN we have the real things that are happening. We have the real things that are happening. Yesterday, Chick-fil-A football in Atlanta, Georgia, is going to have their annual game next August, and we're going to invite North Carolina and Georgia. That's a worthy thing. Worthy for the guys who run Chick-fil-A. Yeah. Worthy. Well, I'll tell you more about Chick-fil-A in the second part of that. But they, I, I'm glad that North Carolina's playing. North Carolina, that, 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 that school of, and I'm not being facetious. I'm just repeating facts that I've read. Because for years, I thought what this meant, I never knew. It was always like the Harvard of the South or the whatever, because there's always some prestigious whatever. See, you couldn't be somebody of the South. You're in the South. But they were the Harvard of the South. They have so many problems at North Carolina that is beyond comprehensive. And this is for a school that wasn't supposed to have any problems. But I don't, I, I don't want to stop. I want to stay on football. Now we have this football season. And football is unbelievable. Unlike basketball, football, the regular season, means everything. Because Ohio State escaped by the hair of their chinny-chin-chin. You all know that. They lost that game to Virginia Tech. And, they, and by rights, they never scored in. But they, they won the thing, and they deserved it, and all that stuff. I'm not going to get into that. But I just want to tell you, Lend-Lease. I know what Lend-Lease is. I'm not a good historian and all that. But Lend-Lease was like, I let you do it and eventually you'll let me have it back or something like that. It was done a long time ago. It was a very good phrase. We have a Lend-Lease system in the NCAA. Come on, you guys are geniuses. You should all say, yeah, Sonny, I know that. What is it? It's the football programs. Oh, how can that be, Sonny? You're crazy. No, 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 it's the football programs. Well, what do you mean? Well, don't you understand this F, is it the F football bowl series, FBS, right? 
They have no part of the NCAA. They get all the money. And then they throw you a... But they don't divide it. It goes to the FBS, and the people running the FBS, and they have rules about that FBS. Unlike the NCAA, and one thing pure about the tournament is, every conference, like even the Ivy League or a lesser conference, has a chance to get a team into the tournament, which is, to that I am, you know, I'm applauding, okay? But the football, all schools don't have a chance. We know that. We absolutely know that. They do not have a chance. The five schools, all those five schools, we just gave them autonomy. Who's well, the NCAA said, we can't control you anyway. Why don't we just let you do what you want to do? And let us know later on what you decided you're going to do. So we can make a rule and protect our money. But why do I say the FBI? Why do I stay on that? You know those kids, the parents of those kids that played in that game with um, Ohio State, okay? You remember, remember like last month, right? And then some of the parents bitched and moaned about they couldn't, you know, they, they first away, they had to buy tickets to go to the bowl. They had like a, a big fun conference playoff game. Then they had the first round of the four-team playoff. Well, parents go there for years, years. A lot of people have been saying, why should parents, why can't the university, I always all use it, the NCAA tournament is my thing. Why can't they pay and bring the parents in? Well, they finally did it, because the lady whose son played in the Ohio State team bitched about it and got national coverage, and so they brought him in. Yay. Oh, shucks. It wasn't the NCAA. It was the FBS that did this, because the NCAA didn't have the authority to do that, because they refused to allow athletes, athletes to be compensated in any way for their performances, so that would have been something that they would not have allowed. But the FBS can do it. Well, that's just like what happened to Ohio State and Jim Trestle and Alabama and Cam, or not, Auburn and Cam Newton. They violated some rules right before a ball game. But the conferences said, you can decide when you want to take your penalty. You want to go before the game, after the game, and they found out that, you know, that Cam really wasn't guilty of what his father did, which is fine. And I, I'm, I'm all for the kid. And I believe that. But the one at Ohio State, really interesting. They allowed them to choose the year they were going to play in the Sugar Bowl or next year when, you know, the kid that they really demonized, Terrell Pryor, and all his teammates were getting tattoos or selling their autographs. You know, they, they threw them to the hell. So they all played, and they were down there and won their zillion dollars and played in the Sugar Bowl, and everybody lived happily ever after, except the kids. Okay? Except the kids. And football. Football is the $8 trillion. Your guys were talking about it today. You know, it's, the tr it's not just the NFL, because even though the NFL numbers are off the wall, 50% of all NFL popularity is gambling. 25% you know, of it is, is you know, fanatical fan bases. And 25% of it is the most brutal sport in mankind. So you want to watch NASCAR racing, go run and run and wait for a wreck, like you used to in the old days, or let's just wait and see who's going to get hurt. But I know one thing, gambling in the NFL is dependent. But college football, because in this playoff, the numbers are off the wall. And they're going to continue to be off the wall. But what did I say? The money doesn't go back to all the schools to help the, the lower division, you know, the, the women's sports and all that. No, it, it doesn't. They have their own trust fund. Another thing, when I, in antiquity, when I was back there, medieval days, we had nine football games. 
And if your team was good enough, you had a tenth win the bowl game. Was, let's see, Ohio State had, I think, 15, right, this year? 15. Interesting. What world are we living in, ladies and gentlemen, today, in sports? The physical world, the concussion world, the injury world, the one that no one ever talks about because no one had guts to talk about until a couple old-time guys who have now got Alzheimer's, who now are dying early, who now are committing suicide because they're playing hard games like football, not just football, but like football, is on the table for discussion. So these geniuses, and no, nothing, nothing from anyone sitting here or there or whatever, no congressmen, none of these people took into effect it was just another thing we'll sell out to kids. That's why I said lend lease. First of all, the athletes aren't, that isn't part of the entity way. Everyone wants to play in that, but it's 15 games. Now, remember what I told you about? Tomorrow morning, I think we're going to spring practice. Okay, I, I mean, what do they got, 20 days for spring practice? Then they're all going to come back in August to go play in a Chick fil A ball in August, so we're going to have a practice. By the very fact, that Ramogi Huma and Kane Coulter, when they were starting the union movement against Northwestern about a year and a half ago, okay, uncovered the total hours paid because these kids were under depositions to tell the facts about how long you practice. The biggest, the biggest crime they do, and I keep coming back to education, notwithstanding the, the, the physical element, I keep coming back to, you know, this is, they don't choose their own majors a lot of time. You all may kid yourself because if you're not part of it, you don't understand it. You can't take an early medical class because you've got morning workout. I'm not going to go through that because I'm going to assume a lot of you are familiar with that. But what I'm going to stick on is the 15th game. 15 games. Now, what did they tell us? If you're a true freshman, you're probably 18 years old. If you're a false freshman, you're probably 19 years old. You're young. Your body's being hit. Here's the practices. And what happened? The season is over December 12th. They're playing that game January 12th. So you take a minute off, then you come back and go all over it. For those of you who have played any sort of sport, whatever it would be, from track and field to baseball to swimming, it's an enduring thing. Your sport is captivating to you your mind and your body. If you play it, you love it. Very, very few people play sport for the luxury of just playing sport, unless you're an ex-basketball player and you go into the 10,000 you know, pseudo little YMCA's or health clubs and play pickup ball when you're 97 years old, because basketball is the only sport you can do that. So, stick on the football, stick on the health, stick on the 15th game. Now let me jump to the ruler supreme in this group called the NCAA. So some bowls, I guess, we can get a $500 you know, Michael Jordan shoe for Nike, although they don't have to give anything away because everybody's wearing their equipment. So they're basically getting everything they want to begin with because that's what we did in 77. So my little scheme worked out well for corporate America. And it was supposed to because corporate America paid and Gatorade paid for all those Gatorades you're flipping over your head because all they need is for you to flip it one time on national TV. And I guarantee you, take it to the bank. They're going to show it on television. 
That's all you need. And I talk about showing on television, all oh, the incident of weight torment. The best commercial they have, the best ad they have, is the ladder. The ladder. Warner ladder. When the kids go up to cut the nets, you look next March. You're going to see Mr. Warner's name right there. And we're going to make sure that Jimmy Nance or whoever's doing this and they're up the Warner ladder. And we're going to make sure if you come down for a press conference and you're not going to drink Coca-Cola, you're going to drink Pepsi-Cola. Because if you bring a Coke home, I'm going to kick your butt the hell out of here. Because we know that happened. The athlete is behooven to not ever show up with anything non-regulatory by the sponsors. Now, the NCAA signed those contracts. Am I right? The FBC, FBS signed those contracts. The athlete didn't sign any contract, but Johnny Manziel, and he's not turning out to be a great pro football player, but he was one of my favorite athletes of all time. First of all, he was my favorite because he was white, okay? He was smart, and his family was rich. And you ain't going after a white, smart, rich kid playing athletics who was talented as him, making money for that University of Texas A&M that he ain't had one since John David Crow in the 1960s, okay? Let me just explain to you what I mean by that, okay? Johnny was exciting. In college football, he was brilliant, okay? And the day, the day that I knew that I had him, I had him good, okay? Remember when CBS, on the third or fourth game of his sophomore year, they had a a Johnny Cam, you guys know it. Remember the camera that CBS put on him? And they say it was just on Johnny Manziel. We're going to follow every move. If he jumps over here, we're going to get that move. You know, you know, this guy may be running for a touchdown over here, but Johnny pitched him the ball. <laughs> and what did they tell us in court? What, did they, what was their defense for 15 days? It's for everybody. We glorify everybody, all of our athletes. They're all the same. Okay? They're all the same. And I want to know why those poor kids from Grambling didn't have a place to take a shower, didn't eat, didn't have a good practice facility. And there was only Grambling because those kids stood up and said this was happening. You see, what they show you, they're great at this. They show you what they want. We love college sports. We love college basketball. Really? Go get a camera and go to one of the games that's not Duke in North Carolina. Okay? Go show me the empty seats. There's empty seats. Half these gyms aren't filled. And three-quarters of the ones aren't for the lesser schools. So don't give me the BS that it's all about this. It's about the great teams and the great players that television want to buy. All you guys are talking about television today they ain't selling it to Ithaca and, you know, and, and Williams, okay? They ain't getting a contract. That's not happening. You know what? These guys are talking about the movies. The movies have no value anymore. Part of my reason I'm sitting here today, because in the 90s, I started watching classic films. Again, this weird guy. I happen to know Steve Greenberg. He's the son of Hank Greenberg. But he's also one of the most successful brightest men in all sports, and you all know that, and you should know, okay? But what he did in, I think it was 96, he and Brian Bodell, another genius in the television business, thought of a concept called classic sports. The reason I know that is because my friend Arn Tellen knew Steve very, very well, okay? And he said, Sonny, do you think you'd like to sell your old round ball games? Because we had all of them, most of them were on ESPN or some other 
you know, my games were mostly on TV for that high school all-star game. And I said, no. I said, that ain't going to work. You know, whatever. I'm really genius. So anyway, so, so Steve and Brian make this work. And they sell it to ESPN. And I believe the value was, and you guys can correct me, $125 million. That's what they netted out of that, that thing. And what is the genius of ESPN? Even though you don't want to know the scores of the game because you saw them, let me tell you, ESPN is the greatest motivator of your mind in the history of mankind. They are absolutely brilliant. They have more reruns than the Big Bang Theory. <laughs> Everything they do is a rerun. I watched last night's PTI this morning. You know, I watched in that Duke, North Carolina game. The whole, what they've done this week is it's the ACC tournament, you know, from 1919. You know, and everyone will get every year. And then during the FBS, it will get the, the original, you know, Southern Cal, Notre Dame, or Southern Cal, usually. But see, what it does, and what my learned friends don't admit to, is that these people that they're showing, some of them are dead. Some of them, you know, whatever. They turn out to be good, bad, indifferent, but it made no difference. They're no longer at that school. When I first conceived the idea of suing the NCAA, it wasn't even a suit. I, I, I was just bitching, because that's what I do good, I bitch. And I, I, I was going around, I, I never turned on an interview the one that interviewed me. I, I love talking, I love being, I love whatever. If I lie, then beat me up, okay? So I'm so, I'm so I believe something I say may be wrong, but it wasn't because I lied about it. I made a mistake or something like that. But I knew something was wrong, and I knew, I knew the Fab Five really well. Those kids went to my camps, they played my All-Star, all of them. I knew all five of those kids very, very well. And the last deal I did for Nike in basketball was signing University of Michigan in the Fab Five. And if you watch last night, Jalen's story was on again, because Jalen Rose, uh, you know, they had a little friction between Chris Rubber and the rest of the Fab Five guys, and they, they were able to do something that no other school up to that time did. And it proved to be the fruition of what I believe would happen in 77. They became this team that was more than a team. They were a style. They were, they were a market. They were unbelievable. They were good. They were African-American. They were hip-hop. They were everybody's team. In the world that I lived in, there were three national teams. Two of them were more important because they outlived the Fab Five itself. The Fab Five was the reason. It wasn't so much Michigan. But I think they showed, again, the graphic, they sold, you know, a zillion dollars worth of Fab Five t-shirts and all that. A lot of that started with Jerry Tarkanian and John Thompson. When I first went to Nike, one of my first signs, I told you the first guy was Jerry, and John came on shortly after that. In those days, we were running into the biggest bonanza and the luckiest, one of the lucky things that ever happened to me, ESPN. Nike was just starting. We had just gotten Michael. Our college teams were making the NCAA tournament. John played North Carolina in the famous Michael Jordan game. Okay? All that stuff was trying to come to together. And then ESPN started in 82, I guess it was. 
The second pre- I was very close to the people in the Big East. Dave Gavitt introduced me to a man named Bill Grimes. Bill Grimes was the second president of ESPN. They were a fledgling outfit. They didn't have anyone that was taking advertising. Me, this kid and whatever, and I had no idea. And this isn't for self-glamorization. This isn't the point. I'm just trying to show you the connection between television, sports, money, and the NCAA. They, Bill called me up and he said, would Nike be interested in buying an ad? They, he flew. I met him in Los Angeles. We flew to Portland. Phil agreed. We were the second biggest advertiser on the original Monday night, Big Monday, they called it, Big East basketball from the East Coast, Madison Square Garden. That's when basketball took hold. They did a documentary on the Big East about three months ago, specifically on the Big East in those years, the beginning of it. Okay? Nike, we had, we owned, I think there was 10 teams at the most, eight maybe, but I think it was 10 in the 80s. We had all but two of them, eight out of 10 or six out of eight. In 84 or 85, forget, Georgetown, Kentucky, Memphis, and St. John's, all four of them Nike schools. Never done before because what? We just started seven years ago. And Congress had everybody, and if Congress didn't have them, Adidas had, because they had UCLA in the 70s. Okay? Just so we understand. What does all this mean? So we buy that thing on Big Monday. Budweiser was number one, Nike was number two. ESPN exploded, and finances and basketball exploded. The Big East exploded. College basketball exploded. Until then, it was a second-tier event. Then the, the tournament exploded. Then you had... Ewing and all the great players. That you can't go down that 10-year period without naming the greatest players in the world. So go back to UNLV and Georgetown and then the kids. They meant more to Nike than anyone other than Michael Jordan. That's how Nike started in college basketball. Michael was, there's, there's, you can't, don't even try and let my, me trick myself. Michael was the biggest thing in the world. And what we did with Michael, with Spike Lee and Michael, we crossed over every, every you know, racial barrier in the world. Michael turned out to be the greatest. Spike, in his own way, Nike was going. But Nike started to control everything. And we had the Big East. We had all these tournaments. We had all four teams. But if you go back and watch, you guys wouldn't know this. Patrick Ewing, they used to have a play in a gym called McDonough Gym in Washington, Georgetown. It was cold in there. Patrick wanted to wear a T-shirt under his jersey. John called me up, Sonny, can we get some T-shirts made, you know, with Nike on them? And Patrick wants to wear them under his jersey. We just tipped out whatever it was. And the next thing Nike knew, whether it was 500 or 1,000, it might have been 100, they were gone. We put them in a bookstore. Why do I mention a bookstore? Because 1987, when I told you all about the swimming pools, the track field and everything, complete encirclement of college sports, at least in that era, and Miami gave us the rights to the bookstore. The bookstore, you want to talk about anti-competitive, antitrust, it's the biggest antitrust thing, I think, in the world. We go, we go in there, and no one else can bid. You know that, don't you? Because when they sign to represent you, your athletic apparel, no one else is they're not going to sell Kmart's in there. That's not allowed. We owned a bookstore. And then from that one, we got another one, we got another one. 
And then we end up, it just keeps growing. Why do I point this out? Why do I talk about football? Why do I talk about concussions? Why do I talk about the NCAA owns everything? What else do they, what else happens? I mentioned Walter Byers, probably none of you knew him. I think there have been six or seven either presidents or associate presidents, because sometimes the president or the associate president was an athletic director like Gene Corrigan, while he was also the associate president of the NCAA. There wasn't even a, a cohesive unit who was running that outfit. But what happened? Athletic directors, okay? Then evolution from an athletic director, and the biggest mistake the athletic director ever made, conference commissioners. For all you guys that do money buys, who do you talk to? You go see Jimmy Delaney, you go see Swafford, you go see Mike, okay? All of a sudden, we incorporated these five geniuses. And they are bright people, because they were able to put in place, under the byline of amateurism and the NCAA, they were the commissioners. They controlled everything, okay? They got all the money, they're paid millions of dollars, good for them. That's what we all, we all want to make a buck. I say to you, I just gave you a brief outline. I can answer questions for a thousand years. I wanted to touch on the growth. I wanted to touch on how it happened. I also told you about the injuries and all the things that happened. We are now in 2015, okay? The only thing that hasn't moved to peg is compensation for the athlete in whatever way, shape, or form. Now, O'Bannon got a basic, we got a semi-win, Judge Wilkins said there's gonna be a base thing of $5,000 per year, and it accumulates for four years. That doesn't mean you have to stay four years, you played one, you're gonna get 5,000. But the O'Bannon case is much broader. It's an antitrust case, and I know some of my learned friends, that's a tough nut to crack. I understand that. The only thing that we have going against us is and I had a young man here who was, uh, you know, a bright young man, and, and it's, it's universal. The sanctity of sports is not to be offended. It's not going to be corrupted. It's not going to be. The minor sports and women's sports and Title IX are not going to be affected. Because I can speak of corporate America since I was involved in it. Now, I can't speak today. I'm not speaking for the ones I work for. But let me tell you something. If there was, and there's a, there's a plan, in effect, okay? There are some brilliant people who have some good systems. What has to happen is not the end of the way, because they delay everything, they appeal everything. It stands to reason that the people in Indianapolis don't want to see anything end. Why Miles Brand should be given $2 million to run it is beyond me. I don't know what the hell he does. I don't, I don't know what it is. He got up there in front of the world and claimed himself the ruler of the world when he proclaimed the death penalty on Penn State. And then a year later, the, the information was wrong, but this man took special joy in saying we're going to blame it on sports and there was a corrupt system and everyone's damned. The one thing that bothered me, not that Sandusky, not that it was the most egregious thing ever to happen. Who in the world, what God, gave him the power to strip the athletes of everything they did. What did they have to do? An unintended consequence? An unintended consequence is something you don't know. An unintended consequence is when the drone goes left instead of going right and it shouldn't have. But this one was out of the minds of these geniuses, these presidents and 
And uh, Emerit, I said, Bran, Emerit, Mark Emerit. Okay, he took great pleasure. Well, there was a kid named Talaferro who became paralyzed playing for Penn State. And 98% of the kids graduated from Penn State. All those kids, they, they did nothing to this egregious sin, bad thing. Hang them, I, kill them. I don't give a damn what you did to Sandusky. My problem was what he did to the athletes at Penn State. They have a pension for that. My problem is what he did to the University of Miami. Whether they cheated or not is ridiculous. Shapiro was available. He was involved. There's no question about it. They had the gall, this, this pious, this, this thing bigger than life, the NCAA moral supremacy, the NCAA. They actually allowed one of their investigators to go in and make a deal with the devil. They were going to pay off Shapiro. They had him. The game was over. Miami was going down, and they let him off. They let them off by their own corruptness. And so for all you defenders that think maybe the athletes can't get something for whatever you want to defend them, just take into consideration, you're not fighting for the equality of athletics. You're not fighting for your home team. You're not fighting for what you think amateurism is, because it isn't. You're fighting for a group of people that really have no feeling or understanding who the athletes are. They have no concept of who these people are. When you talk about academics, and some people say some kids shouldn't be in school, of course there's the famous, the famous, the very famous, you know, ad at Final Four. These, these kids get on every goddamn year and they aggravate me. And they say, my name is Jimmy Joe, and my name is Billy Green, and, and I'm going to be an architect, and I'm going to be this, but I'm not going to be a professional football player. Yay! I'm happy for you. But did any of these people, did any of these people ever say, by the way, let me just pause. All those 20 kids playing the game tonight, thank you for paying for my tuition. Because that's who paid for it, the kids playing in the NCAA tournament. So all these do, you know, do, Dudley do-rights, they're full of crap too. No matter how pretty they look, they are. Because they don't have the common sense to say, thank you. They wouldn't have their money if it wasn't for the NCAA tournament. And they wouldn't have their money because CBS wouldn't Televised the damn thing if it wasn't good and these players weren't good. You were good to get there. But the most galling thing, and I'll quit with this. I hate quitting. My wife's giving me a signal. Okay. <laughs> the most galling thing is, remember the year? Remember the year they, they took that ad? They said, so you think we're all dumb jocks. Remember that one? That was gall. That was, I mean, pathetic. So they were saying that the public were thinking, that the athletes not playing that game tonight were dumb jocks. And she or he reaffirmed, we're not all dumb. Well, I never thought that. I would have assumed, just by logic, that if you allowed me in your school, whether it's Virginia, Virginia Tech, or Virginia Union, however you want to divide it, the biggest to the lowest classes, okay, I would have assumed you were all academically correct. You all qualified. I wouldn't have thought you would have let dumb jocks who couldn't qualify, who couldn't pass the test, be a part of my team. I would think this was all about education, because in O'Bannon, their one constant answer, it's something that all the athletes think in academics is the core mission of the NCAA. And I'm all for it. I'm all for it if they get out of the money business. And if academics is the core mission, then what we should do is understand what we put on the court, what we put on the field, what we put in the tennis courts, 
They all adhere to what the core mission is. Unfortunately, in the world we live in, not all the athletes, boy or girl, man or child, whatever it is, don't have the same academic credentials. It is your job to make sure that's the covenant you signed when they had signed that illicit letter of intent. When they say that there's no financial reward and they're amateurs, for all you don't think, the minute you sign a financial thing and they preach to the Lord and all those wiseacres on TV, it's a $250,000 scholarship. They're full of crap. Because if you're in state, at this school, one of the greatest in America, you pay $13,000. If you're out of state, you pay $48,000, whatever it is. You have to understand something. A seat in the classroom costs nothing. It's another chair. So when they're paying the scholarship, when they're paying all these things, it's money that's silent. Okay? But if they're going to preach the virtues of academics, let's go on the first thing that should bother you. Make sure that everyone who represents you is being put in the right classes, allowed to attend the right classes. You're not clustered. There's one university that early in, we hired a young lady that was brilliant in this. He's helped Hallfield in the first out of the shoot. She went out and explained to us what clustering was. And she found one university that was esteemed. They wanted to be the Harvard of the South, too. And they offered a course called housing where 78% of the athletes were in attendance in this particular major. Not to demean realtors. They are bright people. Everyone's bright. If you've got a job, you're bright. If you're, whatever you do, I give you a credit your intelligence to do it. It's sinful for these people to look you in the eye and being a representative of your university and tell you that they're educating you. And it's more sinful and my last line, I promise you, will be, a young man came to one of my speeches a couple years ago who played in my game, who was an All-American, who led his team to the final eight, final eight, and final 16, the three years ago. He was captain of the team in all conference, first team, okay? I saw him. It's been a long time. And Don, he's holding a child. How are you doing, Jimmy? That's not his name. I'm doing fine, Mr. Vaccaro. How are you, Mr. Vaccaro? This is my son. I said, how's everything going? They lied to me, Mr. Vaccaro. What do you mean that? And I thought, because I've been around, they promised him money and they didn't give him money or something happened financially. And uh, I said, well, what do you mean, Jerry? He said, they gave me a degree, but they didn't give me an education. I can't find a job that's whatever. I never forgot that. They gave me a degree, so he graduated. But he's not, you know, there's nothing there for him. And that, that just gave more energy to the quest. I asked you, when you leave here, you have more than an opinion now. Don't take sides. Just think who you're rooting for. You're rooting for a group of people who really have no feeling or intentions of having feeling for the athlete. They don't know who they are. Trust me, they have no idea who they really are. They know that they're players, and they know they're Johnny Menzel. That's what they know. Or they know they're the Kentucky team. Okay? All the trials and tribulations of whatever they did to get the Kentucky kids there, and I'm a fan of Johnny, Johnny Calipari. I know he and I disagree a lot, but I'll tell you what. Just go turn your TV on. Now until they lose their first game, there's a story in America. 
Forget what, how, who. John took advantage of the biggest loophole in their thing. The one and done was made for Johnny. And hopefully they, they win a championship, or hopefully, you know, I'm not just hoping anybody can win, but I'm saying it shoves it up their butt when they allow things like this to happen, and they put these rules into effect. Give the athlete a chance. Give him the benefit of the doubt, because he really has no voice. We've known that. He's subjugated by the facts in the running of Indiana. Peter, thank you. <laughs> Appreciate it.